Yes, it's the place to be for all things franchising. Hello everyone and welcome. Uh, today I'm delighted to uh, have with me Elisa Hewan. Um, Elisa is a leasing lawyer. She's got over 15 years experience in retail and commercial leasing. She spent most of her career, interestingly, acting for major developers and shopping centres in relation, in relation to various leasing matters. So her clients is a list of really the who's who in that area, Westfields, Mervac, Macquarie Bank and so on. So now she's a senior leading lawyer with Legal Vision. Legal Vision are the fastest growing legal group in Australia and like Franchise Simply, they're basically online and remote. So hence they get things done quickly and uh, without any dramas and they've got resources of people in all areas. Alicia herself's gone full circle, so having worked for the, the sentence, she now acts for SMEs and corporate tenants in relation to all aspects of clients' leasing needs. Um, she's uh, been involved in drafting and negotiations of all sorts of leases. In fact, she described it as all the sorts of lease documents under the sun. So it's, using that experience, we're going to draw on that today uh, to learn how she helps uh, corporate, corporate tenants and franchisors. And uh, Elisa, lovely to have you with you. Have us with you. Hi there. Thanks, Carol. I'm having me, Brian. Anything you want to add to your bio there? Oh, no, no. I think you've covered it there. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we've got a few questions to run through here. And um, I suppose the first one is uh, leasing generally. You know, for mm -hmm. people that are new to that area and not familiar with really what a lease, what a lease is, um, uh, what is a lease and why is it important to get a written lease when you're occupying any sort of property. Sure. So to demystify what a lease is, just think of it in terms of being like a contract. So you're locked in for a fixed term, um, usually between three to five years. The lease document itself sets out the party's rights and obligations, what you can and can't do in relation to the premises. Um, and it provides clarity over certain legal issues um, and most importantly, it's legally enforceable. So, for example, if um, there's damage or destruction to the premises down the track, you probably don't think about that when you first enter into the lease. But a good lease document should also be able to forecast situations to the premises that sets out what the rights are for the landlord, what the rights are for the tenant, and ideally provide a balance of powers between the two parties. So just some general comments about leasing. Um, each state and territory has its own retail leasing legislation. Commercial leases, so therefore leases that are not in a shopping centre, not for use for retail, they're not governed by anything specific, but just your state-based sort of like legislation. Um, now, there's no sort of uniform, unfortunately, no uniform leasing law, so every state is specific. Um, and touching on that, we've got a lot of our clients are franchisors who operate nationally. So for them, it's really important to have a basic uh, understanding of the legislation in each state and territory. and also have a lawyer who operates nationally. So um, that's why for us, it's really important to really understand sort of like the underlying currents of what happens in each lease and in each state, really, um, for our clients. Right, I understand. So, so it's a bit more complicated than one may first realise. So, which obviously you've got to take a lot of a lot of 
lot of precautions when you're going into a lease. Um, so um, w one thing that um, always comes up as a question um, is uh, providing a, a bond or security. What actually is involved in that um, for, for people to understand? Yes, so basically what a bond of security is, is when you enter into the lease, the landlord wants to make sure that they've got some sort of financial security um, to guarantee a tenant's performance of its lease obligation. So they would ask for security when you first commence the lease, and this can be done in two ways, or actually three. You can either give it as a bank guarantee, where mm -hmm. you deposit an amount of money with the bank, and in return the bank gives like a piece of paper, like a cheque, um, to honour the obligation. And it's for a fixed sum amount, usually equivalent between one month to six months worth of rent. Um, you can also provide a security deposit, which basically you deposit a sum, or the tenant deposits a sum of money into the landlord's bank account, and the landlord's supposed to keep it in there uh, in an interest-bearing account up until the end of the lease term. So the thing with security is, if you haven't done anything wrong under the lease, you've been a model tenant, then the landlord has to give you back that money. Um, and the third form of security is offering personal security. We're seeing a lot of it more these days, especially with uh, tenants that uh, tenant corporations. So people enter into a lease under a, you know, like under a small company, a PTY Limited company, then they're often asked to provide personal guarantees or directors' guarantees in addition to some form of financial guarantee, be it a bank guarantee or security deposit. Right. Okay. So. Yep. Yeah, look, and, and I've, you know, I suppose my ears pricked up when you mentioned about a cash deposit with the landlord and you said who's mm -hmm. supposed to keep it for you. So there, there are obviously some things to be cautious about as far as that's concerned, are there? Precautions to Yes, take? that's right. Well, look, I, I did touch upon the fact that leasing law is not uniform and it's not necessarily consistent. It's pretty much state-based. So if you operate a retail lease, then under the Retail uh, Leases Act in the different jurisdiction, It'll set out, um, you know, regulations of what the landlord must do with the security bond or security deposit. Um, in lease situations that are not regulated by any retail legislation, then it's really up to the parties to uh, negotiate. And also, um, it's just not regulated. So the idea would be that the landlord will have to take a security deposit, put it in a specific bank account, and just park it there until you know the tenant defaults and does something that the landlord can reasonably draw down upon. And this is where you know we touched upon what's important to have a written lease in place because only the lease can specify under what circumstance the landlord can draw on the bank guarantee or security. Um, but you know sometimes when you've got a commercial lease that's not regulated by the Act, you deposit money into the landlord's bank account. It's hard to say, especially for like say a five or seven year lease where the money goes. Um, you're hoping in good faith that the landlord would have kept it their interest bearing account. But it's really important that the document or your lease document really sets out what the landlord can and can't do with your security. Right, yeah. So to make I suppose sure, yeah. the bottom line is it's not really regulated unless it's a right. retail lease. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you need to protect your own vested interest in that money. Okay. All right. So when we look at the uh, lease documents, they can be fairly short sometimes, sometimes fairly lengthy. Um, yeah. are, are there any particular clauses you recommend to your clients that they avoid having included in their leases? Yes. So I would, um, there's three areas in my experience that tend to be the most contentious. One is to do with market rent review. 
Um, again, we touch on whether a lease is retail or non-retail. With retail leases, market rent is pretty much regulated by the Act. So, you know, the retail legislation sets out how market rent is determined. But in non-retail leases, I've seen draftings that vary greatly in terms of, you know, when is the landlord obligated to, for instance, provide a market rent review, whether it's um, right on the market rent review date, or it could be that they could just give a market rent review any time, really, um, even if it means eight months into into the lease year. And therefore, the tenant will have to backdate that rent depending on when the landlord conducts a market rent review. So in those situations, as you can see, Brian, it's a lot of uncertainty, and we're dealing with money. Mm -hmm. So you know, the worst case scenario would be to have a lease drafted with a market rent review that gives the landlord discretion to um, conduct a market rent review any time during the lease term and then having to back pay you know, up to one year's worth of rent. Um, so in those situations, I'll try to avoid uncertainty by making sure that the market rent review clause is drafted in a way that's clear in terms of time frame. Um, and this is especially important because a lot of market rent reviews tend to take place um, at the option term of a, of a lease. So if a tenant has to exercise its option, um, Three, or give notice to exercise option three months before the expiry date and it still doesn't know what the new market rent is, it creates a lot of uncertainty mm. because once you exercise your option, you're pretty much locked in for a further term. So that, that is one scenario where it's really important to, have a, um, to, to really look at the market rent review mechanism and make sure that it's fair and it's clear for both parties. Um, Another clause that I try to get out is, again, to do with rent because, you know, money is always contentious, isn't it? Um, it's to do with ratchet provisions. So what that is is in a market rent scenario, um, the rent could go up or could go down. So, for instance, if you have a shopping centre, um, a lease, you paid a lot of money for and then three years down the track, next door another shopping centre opens with more shops and more competition, it could be that your shopping centre is now considered as old and it's devalued and therefore rent rightly should really be less than what's next door. So in that scenario, the market rent would actually decrease. Um, and in that situation, uh, you know, if there's a market rent, then the tenant should be entitled to a lower rent amount. In some leases, they sort of foresee that, so the lease would say that the rent can't go down. So in other words, it can only go up, which would be very unfair for a tenant. So I'll try to avoid Absolutely. those situations. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, Carol. Yes, and I was just going to say, and you know, those two are really my main concerns because really, look, we're looking at a lot of money here for tenants, and, and the thing about lease document is you want certainty, um, and, and those situations are really, um, I can really see negative effects for tenants, as well as other things such as blanket indemnity provision. So, for instance, if you've, um, you know, a clause in the lease that says anything that goes wrong in the premises, the, the tenant is totally responsible for, even if um, the landlord might have contributed to it. So we always try to make a carve out for the landlord's negligence. And I think those three are probably the major um, issues that um, I often see in leases. Yeah, I can imagine a scenario where you've opened a business, you're trading very well, and the landlord has a, an opportunity to to, uh, to review the rent, at, the rent at their discretion. They yes. could quite easily use that to coerce you, if they're unscrupulous, into uh, increasing the rent because they've got you, they've got your hand behind your arm behind your back, haven't they? Haven't they? 
definitely. And we, you know, unfortunately, we see that a lot. Mm. So we always try to avoid right. those situations. Right. Okay. So when we're talking about leasing a franchise outlet in particular, are there any particular issues when you're considering leasing and franchising that you'd like to draw to our attention? Certainly. So as we touched on before with retail uh, legislation and retail leases, they are state-based, they're not uniform. So um, it's worthwhile to really have a good understanding of you know, the specific state laws pertaining to a lease and the flow-on effect that it has on a lot of franchise agreements as well and the franchise arrangements. So in terms of the specific issues, um, there's really three scenarios or three major frameworks when it comes to leasing of premises with franchise systems. One is when the franchisee holds the lease in its own name um, and the franchisor may or may not have a deed or re-entry or step-in deed um, in the instance of a franchisee default. Or you have another scenario where the franchisor negotiates the lease and then transfers it to a franchisee. Or the third scenario would be where the franchisor holds a lease or a license to occupy, um, or holds the lease and then licenses the premises um, to the franchisee. So we'll go through each of those and we'll just discuss the pros and cons. That's okay, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. No, this is a critical area. Yeah, one that sure. people are generally not that familiar with. That's right. Right, so with the first scenario where the franchisee holds a lease in its own name, um, I suppose the advantage for franchisors is that it's less financial risk, um, it's less operational exposure because the franchisee is the one that's taking on all the obligations under the lease. Um, but I guess uh, the bad thing about that for a franchisor would be there's just lack of control of the site. Um, and there's lack of transparency, for instance, if the franchisee hasn't been paying rent, hasn't um, or been breaching the terms of the lease, the franchisor has no idea um, unless you know there's some sort of obligation in the franchise agreement to say that the franchisee must um, you know must give notice or must tell the franchisor um, of anything that goes on under the lease. And there's no direct relationship with the landlord, so pretty much. The franchisee is autonomous and operating from the premises without really any uh, input from the franchisor. So you've got less control if you've got one of those franchisees in place. So the second scenario, which is probably what's more common and what I deal with generally, is when the franchisor negotiates a lease and then transfers it to the franchisee or offers the franchisee the license to occupy. So in those situations, uh, it's good for the franchisor because the franchisor controls the site and controls negotiation. Um, it increases negotiation power. So for instance, um, one of my clients, Just Cut, they always um, negotiate the lease on behalf of the franchisee. They'll give a franchisee an uh, a license to occupy. But because they've got a lease in pretty much nearly every shopping centre, They've got a lot of negotiation power with your, you know, your typical Westfield shopping, where um, you know they could actually get a lot of more favourable terms. So we see a lot more favourable terms because you know they're relying on their brand name, and there's a flow-on effect because you know once they've negotiated all of those terms, the the franchisee pretty much steps in under a licence agreement um, and benefits from all, all those flow-on effects because of the fact that um, you know, JustCut is able to negotiate all those terms on its behalf. 
So that's the right. um, the advantage. Yeah. Mm. And mm. The, the, yeah, and the last situation. I mean, so therefore, you know, the franchisor may choose to either transfer the uh, the lease to the franchisee, or more commonly, it just offers a license to occupy, where you know you're occupying under a license arrangement. So the franchisor has a direct relationship with the landlord. Um, and it also has a relationship with the franchisee, so it's sort of like a middle person working both parties. Right, so you see that as the, as the most workable model um, from that point of view. So you mentioned the advantages there of the franchise or holding a lease and the, giving a license of occupation to the franchisee. What about the disadvantages? Is there anything you, know, you see to, to, um, as, a, as a disadvantage to that arrangement? Yes, look, there is, and one of the biggest disadvantages is just to do with cost, really. So, you know, the franchisor will have to put the cost of the lease uh, in its balance sheet and its financial statement, um, and then it's also burdened with pretty much the operational aspects of the lease as well because it's in its name. So, therefore, if the franchisee defaults or doesn't do something under the lease, then the first point of call will be the franchisor, and the franchisor will be the one who has to rectify or deal with the default uh, directly with the landlord before it can deal, you know, basically it just sort of steps in and then under its franchise agreement then it could therefore um, turn to the franchisee to get the franchisee to rectify any defaults. But yeah, financial burden would be the number one thing in terms of, um, you know, just having the cost of the lease. And, and leases are expensive, especially for five-year leases, which is what the average term of a, a Westfield shopping centre lease is. Um, so there's a lot of financials sort of like tied up in a, um, having a direct lease with the landlord as opposed to having a franchisee having a direct lease with the, fra with, um, the landlord. Right, so these, these are things for everyone to consider individually I suppose. It's their own, hmm. it's, their own uh, it's really a matter of their own decision, Pro providing I guess the landlord is, 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 is comfortable with that arrangement as well. Yeah, look, you, you find that with, especially with major shopping centre leases, they actually prefer to have the franchisor be the tenant, um, especially if it's a big franchisor like, you know, your, your Just Cuts or your Michelle Patisseries, um, because it just means that they know that um, the process is almost like it's an identifiable brand, so therefore they know that um, there's money behind the, the franchisor and that they can rely on the franchisor as opposed to, you know, some unknown franchisee where there's a bit of um, doubt as to their experience or you know their ability to meet the financial obligations under the lease. So you'll find that most most shopping centres prefer to have the franchisor named under the lease. Right, okay, that makes sense. So uh, now, when I, these days, you know, in these days of ultra competition, uh, if you mm -hmm. buy a motor car or you, you're going to uh, perhaps get, a, get a, a property lease that, you know, for a place you, the premises you're going to live in, almost invariably people expect to negotiate both, both the, the vendor and the purchaser. Um, what about in leasing? What's the situation with leasing? Landlords tend to try and be a bit heavy-handed. What's, what's your view as to how negotiable they are? Oh, you know, I always say you never know until you try and you've just got nothing to lose uh, in terms of negotiating a lease. And, you know, as we say, a lease is a contract, and it's pretty much a long-term contract. It, the average lease is between three to five years. So it's always in your best interest to make sure that, you know, you're getting the best deal. And you'll be surprised what's offered out there. Most of the time, um, you know, landlords try to entice good tenants by providing incentives. 
such as rent-free period uh, to carry out fit-out work, or they even contribute to fit-out, uh, you know, payment of your fit-out. So if you don't ask, you don't know. Um, and if you're going to be asking for a few things, you might as well just have a, a, a wish list um, and just submit a wish list to the landlord. I mean, what's the worst that could happen, I say to my clients? The worst is they just say no, right? But at least you've put it out there and, you know, you're giving it your best shot. And chances are it's such a common practice that they, I would say they expect you to negotiate. For instance, I worked for Westfield for a long time and um, they've actually got standard um, amendments where you know they know exactly what you're about to ask them in terms of um, specific <laughs> clauses, and they will just turn to the relevant page and say, "Yep, that's something we accept." We'll, we'll you know, if you didn't, but if you didn't ask that, then they won't change it. So you might as well ask. It's got nothing to lose, is what I say, Brian. Right, they must, they must shudder a bit when you get on the phone or you drop them a, a letter saying uh, introducing yourself as acting for one of their prospective tenants. What what about other aspects as far as you know, leasing is concerned as far as negotiation? Look, the other thing too is I guess, you know, um, it comes down to timing as well and how much time you have. I know, for instance, um, timing is quite crucial for a lot of my clients because, you know, you've got a set date. You either might be taking a lease because you've purchased a franchise business um, and you've got a set date that you need to start buying to start making money. So you don't have much time to muck around in terms of negotiation. So in that respect, sometimes it's good, you know, to know in the first instance what, you know, what's reasonable um, and what's to be expected. So I suggest in those situations that, you know, just to save time, the tenant should talk with the, the agent and really set out what the expectations are and these, usually these expectations, commercial expectations are written down in what we call heads of agreement or the lease proposal and you know the agent is the first point of call and I would say that you know you should really work to your advantage with the agent because they're keen to uh, get the commission and they, would, they tend to be a lot more accommodating than lawyers because lawyers um, clock by the, by the minute as you know and so you know, they always go back and ask for instructions and that process of going back and forth could take some time. So if you can save yourself time by going to the agent, putting down your wish list of what you want, um, it doesn't cost you any money because, you know, lawyers aren't involved yet. Um, so, you know, things like rent-free period, contribution to fit out, um, you know, what work you want the landlord to do before the landlord commence, you know, lease commence, um, all these details, how much bank guarantee or security you want to negotiate uh, to give, have that nutted out in the heads of agreement first and once it looks like something that you can live with, um, then you sign that and after that process is done, the landlord solicitor will draft the lease and typically the lease should reflect everything that you've agreed to beforehand to save time and then the final stages would be, um, you know, then we talk about like the really legal um, provisions of the lease that, you know, that's when you get your lawyers to look through just to make sure that, you know, you're getting the best deal you can. And you'll find that that process can actually be very quick as opposed to you in the first instance not knowing what you want and just sort of like entering to the lease blindly um, and then finding out that you might need to change, you know, 30, 30 terms of the lease where half of it is commercial that you could have done um, before you even had a look at the lease and that could have been done with the agent to save time and money. Right, so that's uh, yeah, that's, that's that's great clarity there. So, w when you look at getting legal advice, 
um, mm-hmm. you're going to be doing that basically um, once you've negotiated, if you like, your wish list with the agent. That's um, right. What, what sort of nature do you expect that negotiation to take once you, let's say that you're appointed as the, the lawyer for a, for a franchisor, um, mm-hmm. when do you become actively involved and uh, could you give us a bit of a picture there of some of the, the experiences you've had? Certainly. So, for instance, you know, what our, our clients, one of our clients, Just Cuts, for instance, you know, they would have negotiated, um, you know, with their franchisee, uh, you know, the basic terms of the franchise agreement. And then when it comes to uh, dealing with the leasing aspect, the commercial heads of agreement would have been drawn up. The leasing admin for Just Cuts would have already looked through, approved of everything and looked, everything looked good. But then when it comes to the documentation, that's when we would look, that's when Legal Vision would get involved and we would look at things like firstly to make sure the commercial terms match up with um, everything that's in the lease and then we want to make sure that all the lease obligations are fair um, and again lease obligations tend to be more legal. So for instance, you know, when um, they look at your nitty gritty details such as reporting, uh, you know, what type of outgoings are payable. Um, you know, when are they payable, how are rent conducted, um, what, the, what the tenant must do in terms of repairs obligation, those things are quite legal. So, you know, when does repair obligation kick in, what notice provisions are required. So those aspects, will that, that's when we start to, um, you know, negotiate on our client's behalf. And, we, and the good thing about being a major or having a major franchisor um, having a relationship with a major franchisor is that a lot of these amendments they've already done uh, previously with other shopping centres owned by you know the same owner like say Westfield. Um, so it could be just a very quick straightforward process. It's a lot of amendments already in there in their standard uh, agreement and then it's just a matter of just glancing through making sure all the terms are ticked um, and, then, and then basically when it looks like it's good enough um, for the franchisor to commit to and then that's when we finalise the deal and then we sign on it. And then once that is signed, then you know, the franchisor will prepare what we call a licence to occupy document and that we will get the, uh, the franchisee to sign that. And the franchisee basically agrees to take on all the responsibility under the lease that the franchisor has negotiated on their behalf um, to pay for all the obligations. But in terms of you know, being the person that's made contact with the landlord, it will be the franchisor. So the franchisee can just um, worry about the day-to-day operation and not have to worry about all the other sort of like admin matters such as giving notice, um, you know, and, and doing all those things. And that's generally right. the process. Yeah. When we were chatting earlier, you mentioned about the habit some people have of coming up at the last minute with ideas as prospective tenants uh, of things they want, you know, like extra, extra free rent periods and so on. Uh, and, and they often don't do that till the last minute. What's, what's your advice as far as those sorts of things are concerned, Elisa? Look, I, yeah, look, I, I think, you know, in the first instance, you know, you should really, um, the most important thing would be you actually have got to go in there and inspect the premises yourself and not just look at it on paper. Um, because a lot of issues that you don't think about comes down to, for instance, you know, uh, and I find this time and time again, you know, there'll be, typically an obligation in a lease document to say the tenant has to maintain or has all responsibility of all the air conditioning or equipment in the lease document. 
and then I ask my clients, uh, or they have to make some sort of a warranty to say that you know we warrant and acknowledge that you know as at the commencement date the lease is in great condition, or you know everything's in working order. And then I'll ask my client, well, can you make that warranty, or is that the case, or are you happy to take on that obligation? And then often my client will say to me, well, actually, don't know. I've actually haven't been in there, or um, I, I haven't seen any air conditioning because I haven't really looked. <clears throat> So I think right, it would just so save a lot right. of trouble if you really go in there, really get to know, get you know, see the premises what it is. Um, and sometimes, look, it's even useful before you sign the lease to even like have a condition report carried out, just so you know what you know what state the premises is in. Because some of these things are hidden behind walls that you don't know about until you do a condition report. And I think once you sort of have more of an open eye view of the state of the premises, that's when you can sort of like be more confident in terms of accepting any terms of the lease that's got to do with maintenance repairs, which is probably the most contentious aspect of leasing, um, you know, especially a five to ten year lease. Once you're in there, things start to break down, as is often the case, and then, you know, the tenant's left wondering, well, was it there when I actually signed the lease or did I cause that? Um, so. Just to, you know, for the sake of clarity for both parties, it's probably best to find out before you sign the lease exactly if everything's in good working order. And if there's work that needs to be done, the landlord's probably more motivated to fix things up before you sign the lease than after you sign the lease. So that, that yes. would be my best advice. It's not unlike buying a house, is it, when you get a building inspector to come in and go through and check it all out just to see that everything's current and all the certificates are appropriate. and. As you say, it's not, not something behind a hollow wall that uh, is going to be a shock, that uh, it's going to be a disruption later. Ah, yes, it is. Okay. That's right. Um, so, Alicia, that's been, that's been excellent. I really enjoyed chatting to you. Thanks for sharing so much with us. Um, indebted to you for giving up your time. I'm, I'm sure everybody will appreciate that and uh, join me in saying it, it's been a privilege of having the opportunity to get to know you a little more and hearing some of your words of wisdom. Uh, now, uh, do you have anything, any closing point or observation you'd like to make? Anything we haven't touched on in the conversation? Oh, look, nothing, nothing we haven't touched on. But you know, as a summary, I would say that you know, leasing law at the end of the day is a complicated kind of contract, and I understand that a lot of our franchise or a lot of our clients, um, you know, they're more worried about running their business, which they should be, because that's what's making the money. Um, and sometimes, look, it really helps to you know to leave all the legal work to someone who knows what they're doing, and especially when it's um, you know, when you're operating a franchise that's on a national level, to to really you know make sure you pick the right legal team to to know the laws of each. Um, you know, it's really important that your lawyer knows the law in each state, really, to to give you the best outcome in terms of um, negotiating the lease. So in that respect, you know, it's it's one of those areas that's grey, um, and you know it, it helps to to know what um, to enter into the lease with your eyes open. And know that uh, a lot of things can be negotiated. You just got to know to ask the right questions. That would be my uh, my parting advice. Right. Okay. That sounds very wise. So, if someone's uh, considering a lease at the moment, or they've got one and they've got some issues or uncertainties, can, can they contact? You're happy to talk to them to to uh, for, for briefly for a bit of a chat, give them some pointers. Oh, definitely. Uh, legal Vision operates like that. So, you know, you ring us up, and you know, our legal project. Managers are all over, um, you know, all the current legal issues. So you know, there's no obligation quote. So you can obviously ring up and you know have a chat with us. Lovely. Well, if anyone wants to speak to Lisa, um, get in touch with me. Uh, I'll put you directly in contact and do the personal introduction, and um, she can address your issues there. So 
look, that's fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks again, Elisa. And uh, this is Brian King from Franchise Simply signing off and looking forward to being with you when we interview our next Franchise Radio Show uh, guest. <laughs>